Well, I believe God has a word for us today. And Sam, would you come up here and stand with me, please? I love Sam. We've known Diane for a long, long time as a little girl. And you know Diane's parents, right? Ray and Brenda, right? Pyle. And he ministered here not long ago. And so we were, we're, we were so grateful to hear that. But here, of course, Sam, they, we didn't know this, but they just live walking distance from the church all this time. And Sam is a treasure, which you're going to find out today. Now, you fellows, you've already heard Sam preach at a men's breakfast or speak to us. And today you're going to hear an important word, and you're going to see why I say what I do about Sam. I believe God's got treasures inside of him that he's going to open up to us today. And uh, I, just, I just appreciate him so much. I don't know what, what led you here or how that happened. It hasn't been that long ago, but I believe God has plans and purposes that we don't even know about right now, and I'm really excited. So open your hearts. God's anointing your ears. Get out your little paper in the insert. It's blank, so you can, you can fill it in, all right? Whatever God speaks to you, I'm looking forward to hearing this message again the second time. But would you put your hands together and greet my brother as he comes to minister to us? I'm not uh, trying to be cool sitting on the stool like it's, like it's casual Friday. Uh, I was having some issues with my foot, so, um, so it's, I would rather be standing and jumping around and getting my Pentecostal on. But, um, but I won't be this morning. Uh, I was really excited when uh, Pastor Joe asked me to speak and, um, and really wanted to I'm always going to try and jump on an opportunity to share my faith. And I was really excited that it was this Sunday uh, because my daughter, Shell's here. And, and she came from uh, Florida. She's been living in Florida. And uh, they, they actually they surprised me when she came and had me run, walk through the house, do a little treasure hunt for, we, we kind of waited to do Christmas till she was here. And uh, at the end, she had this little envelope, and she's like, okay, so rip the envelope, and then give me what's in this bag. And so I rip the envelope. You see what's in there? There's a plane ticket. And then I reach into the bag, and there's keys, the house keys, and she's like, I'm moving back home. And, uh, and I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus, because we've been just praying, you know, just miss my girl and praying we'd come back home. And then, uh, and then I was like, no, when? When are you coming back home? Like in March we were talking about? She's like, uh, nope, 13 boxes are showing up tomorrow or this week. And I was like, oh, you're really like, okay, this is it. You're not going back. And so, so I'm really thankful that she could be here today. And, uh, and so when he, when he asked, the first thing I, I did is um, I was real excited, but I was just really praying about what I'm going to share about. And, um, and I had started this series to put online for a podcast uh, that I'm doing that just is really a lot about evangelism and answering a lot of questions people have, but it's called, and it's called uh, Boss Level Jesus. And, uh, and so as I was going through it, I was looking, I was all excited. I said, okay, so what do we, let's talk about, you know, God, what do you want? Uh, how, how followers of Christ, we need to get the word into us, you know, and, you know, uh, perception is reality. And today there's so many, uh, there's, there's no absolute truth anymore. Uh, what is the truth, you know, and, uh, and people need to have the word in them, you know, to know what they believe. There's a lot of Christians that believe, but they don't even know why they believe, you know. So when they're confronted with someone who's like, why are you the way that you are? You know, a lot of times it's an honest answer, it, it, Jesus. But then they don't know much more than that. And so I was like, okay, so this is really good. Uh, and then I just felt like, yeah, I just felt like God was like, well, that's not that. And I was like, okay, what about the power of prayer? You know, how to effectively cultivate uh, a personal communication with, with, with the Lord and, and the, the powerful weapon of intercessory prayer and how we can, through, through intercession, stand in the gap for other people and, uh, and, and just come against the strategies of the enemy on our family, on our children, on our, our, our friends, our neighborhood, on the world, and the world, and I just felt like God was like, no, that's not it. I was like, okay. And, uh, and then I thought about sharing about worship and just the, it, the place of worship in our lives and how to cultivate this beautiful moment, uh, this experience, worship in spirit and truth, 
it's really it's the most intimate part of our relationship with Jesus because it's, it's that intimate part that's just between us and the lover of our soul. And, and just like a husband and a wife or a couple, it is the communication between the two of you. It is the touch. It is the holding hands. It, it's the intimate part that brings a husband and wife closer together and believers closer to the lover of their soul. And I was like, man, that's it. And God's like, yeah, no, but it's not. And, uh, and so I continue to pray on it. And then God brought, I just felt like he brought to my mind. It's a new year. Uh, God's doing a lot of things. And, um, and I believe he wants to do a lot of things. Uh, I, I believe that, you know, he just really spoke that he's putting, I, I truly believe that he's calling a lot of people back that have, that have gone because they're either hurt or because they were offended. A lot of people that have left the gospel, left the church, they're coming back home this year. I also believe that, that God is putting in the hearts of people that are not believers. Uh, and I've seen it with a lot of people of other faiths. I've seen it in a lot of conversations with people that are atheists and, uh, and just have different beliefs that have been coming and bringing real questions. And I think we have to know what we're talking about. We need to be able to give an account to people about this good news, about what changed our lives and what it is that we believe in. And, um, and so with this, I just felt like God kind of impressed my heart. This new year, remind them of why the good news is so good. And, and I was like, okay. And so I started praying about that. And it reminded, uh, God kind of brought to my memory uh, a conversation that I'd had uh, about the time that COVID hit. I was at Dylan's getting some groceries, and as I was in the checkout, I looked up and I noticed this guy's waving at me, and I look over at him, and it's a friend of mine that I've known since uh, Meats Corner. I used to manage a coffee house in Wichita called Meats Corner, and, uh, and he used to come in all the time. He's a doctor. He's an atheist, and we have a lot of really great conversations back and forth. A lot of times he's always had a lot of great questions and um, has always led me back into the word, and um, he's waving at me, and he's pointing at his mask, He's pointing at my mask, and he's like, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, oh, wow, yeah, I'm wearing a mask. And uh, so he stuck around, and he waited for me just because he wanted to just tell me, hey, I appreciate that you're wearing your mask. He said, I know that you're a religious guy, and, and that you're conservative, and it's usually religious conservatives, he said, that never have their masks on and don't take COVID serious at all. He said, so I just really want to let you know how much I appreciate it, and I thought, well, that's awesome that he didn't see me last week here because I wouldn't have had a mask on. And I don't know why I was wearing a mask, but sometimes, uh, you guys ever heard of divine appointments? Divine interceptions, intersections, where God does something, you're not really sure why you did it, and then it turns out later, oh my gosh, boy, God just opened the door of that, used that. Well, this was that thing. So we talked for a moment, he told me about his family, we talked about my family, and then he came back to the frustration. He came back to thank me, and he said, um, now, I don't want to complain, but I do want to share with you something. He said, uh, you know, that he, he wanted to, to kind of share with this frustration so maybe I could offer some uh, intelligent, reasonable, logical input on the situation, and I would. And uh, he said, so, he said, it's, it is frustrating to me. He said, and as a doctor, he said, and I want to share, he said, I have this patient that I really like. He's a really cool guy. Uh, he's always happy. He's in his mid-80s. And um, he comes in. He's like, and he's always saying, hey, can I pray for you before I leave? Before he leaves. And he said, and I always tell him, uh, nope, uh, but I appreciate it. He said, so then he always informs me, uh, okay, well, I want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family, for God's blessing for protection, for good health. And he said, you know, and I do appreciate that. You know, he doesn't ever feel like the guy's be, trying to push him. And he said, but this time it really frustrated me because I like this guy. He said, I was really frustrated, though, because he came in and he's complaining that he just had a fever. Uh, he's had chest pains. He's had uh, shortness of breath. Thinks he's lost his taste or smell. Uh, and he suddenly zapped of all of his energy. And I told him, you know, asked him if he had been tested. And he said, no, I'm not tested. He said, you know, he said, the guy, he doesn't wear a mask. He won't get checked. He refuses to get COVID, the vaccine. He calls the COVID the jab. 
and thinks uh, that it's all a huge conspiracy. And I was like, well, thank you, Jesus. He doesn't hang out at my house because sometimes I might say those things. And he said, I really like this guy. He said, to be honest, I don't like a lot of Christians, but I like him. He said, and I've tried to tell him over and over again uh, that he may have COVID. And if he does have COVID, especially with his age, he is at the highest percentage of people that if they get COVID, they will die. He said, the last time he came and he asked me if I prayed, I, I, he said, it bothered me. I said, no, but you need to take this serious. He said, I'm good, doc. Don't worry about me. And he said, so I went back to the symptoms. He said, okay, then uh, you better not be getting a fever. You better not have chest pains. You better not have shortness of breath. You better not lose your smell. Better not lose your taste. Better not be getting zapped of energy. All of a sudden, because those are signs, those are symptoms, evidence of COVID. And if you get COVID, you're going to die. Could die. He said to me, this really bothers me. And I'm the health expert. I show him the symptoms, but he knows better than his doctor. He says, seriously, I wish I could just jab him. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's not get into that. And I guess I was smiling. You know, we had masks on, so it must have been like, or something, so he could tell us smiling. And he said, it's funny. He said, but really, it's not funny because it's weighing on me. I said, nope, uh, I'm not laughing at you. I said, it's not funny. Uh, I'm not downplaying your frustration. I'm not, uh, I said, actually, I can sympathize. It's just interesting to me because your frustration with him perfectly echoes his frustration with you. It is amazing how God brings her out his truth and his gospel because he loves us. I have to throw that in there. He said, okay, explain. And I said, okay, hear me out. You did, uh, you did just about everything that you could to show him his symptoms and warn him of what those symptoms mean because you're a good doctor and you genuinely care about him. He prays for you and he prays for your family and he asks to pray for you because he likes you. And he genuinely is concerned about your soul. You know what COVID virus can do to somebody, especially at his age, if they don't get treated. He knows what the virus that we call sin will do to someone if they don't get treated. So, he, you know, he's talking about the original virus, the virus that, that made way for all other viruses, infections, diseases, and death. He said, yeah, yeah, I know. And I said, you're wanting to jab him. He's the one to jab you. <laughs> I was like, it just, you could maybe kind of see why I chuckle a bit. And he said, well, yeah, you, you know, and he's back to the virus. I said, yeah, he said, I get it. I, he said, I'm not completely, uh, un, not associated with scripture. He's like, I've heard stuff. You're talking about Adam and Eve and the virus sin. I get it. He said, yeah, but you know what? He said, that's a problem for me. He said, because, uh, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense why, you know, there would be a virus and there would be sin and God would let this happen to his people. He said, that's probably one of the reasons that I personally don't believe in God. I said, I get it. I said, but you know, God never planned uh, for man to be infected. He never wanted to lose that perfect relationship with us. He never wanted us to suffer, never get disease, never wanted us to get dementia, uh, cancer. He never wanted us to contract AIDS or chickenpox, Ebola, the flu, or COVID. He never wanted us to suffer and die. That was never, ever what he wanted. It's the virus that brought death. And I said, and as Christians, your friend there and myself included, you know, we believe that everybody has it. We believe that the symptoms show that. We believe that everyone's infected and that everyone is going to die because of it. And that's why your friend keeps telling you that he wants to pray with you, you kind of see. You know, and he said, so is this something that you really believe? <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, it is. And he said, okay, well, let's just say this original virus exists. That there is this virus that has passed down from first parents to the blood. He said, well, you know, that's possible. And this virus is the cause of every virus death age, uh, diseases. He said, but then why do Christians just assume everyone else is infected? 
He said, no, be specific. Because me and him know each other. He said, be specific. Why do you? Do you personally think that I'm a sinner or I'm infected with this virus? I'm not a bad person. I don't think you're a bad person. And I don't go around sinning. And I said, well, really, it's not even an issue of my opinion about whether you're good or not. It's an issue of the symptoms. And he said, symptoms. Uh, that's something. You're saying that God himself actually wrote down symptoms? Is that what you're saying? Because that would be something. Symptoms are evidence of something that's working against us in our body. That would be something. But I've never heard of symptoms. Uh, or God writing down a list of symptoms. I said, he, uh, well, he did. Uh, I said, you know, and I started telling him about Leviticus 20. And he said, and he cut me off. Listen, and he said, and, you know, I'm, I'm a doctor. I've literally dedicated my life to help heal people and save people's lives. I put my life on the risk, at risk doing this. And I said, I know you do. I said, but so are you saying that good people, people who care for others, people in the health care, and, you know, like I said, like my wife, labor and delivery nurse, she helps bring babies into the world. I said, are you saying these people that are compassionate for others, that they should not worry about the symptoms, that the, the symptoms that they may have? You're saying that good people are inoculated from these viruses. Good people can't get COVID. And he said, no, uh, I'm not saying that. COVID is a virus. I said, no, okay, so that's where we're at. Because we're talking about a virus. And this virus is 100%, has a 100% death rate. There was no known cure. And like all viruses, there are symptoms that identify the infection. I said, the biggest one, I'm just kind of shotgun out there. I said, the way that you know that you have it. I said, have you ever known to do something that you should do and then for some reason you didn't do it? He's like, well, yeah. I said, it's really funny because the short definition that uh, to know to do right and to do it not is sin. I said, that's, that's funny. He said, but, you know, God just didn't shotgun it out there and leave it there. I said, like I said, he actually wrote down with his finger, he wrote down uh, the symptoms and gave it to us because he wanted us to realize that this virus was there. I said, and then also he wrote it down and placed it within us. And we call it conscious moral compass. You know, everybody kind of knows uh, you just don't kill people. You know, murder is not great. Uh, taking what belongs to other people. You know, we, we, we have this inside of us. I said, so let's just switch for just a moment. Uh, switch places. I said, so you said to your patient, because you're wanting him to see that he has this virus, he, he may have this virus. If he gets this virus, he could die. I said, so you, you threw the whole thing. Well, you better not, you know, have a shortness of breath. You better not have a fever. You better not. I said, so... According to the, to the list, I said, even if we jump down halfway through the list, I would say to you, you better not have ever dishonored your parents, better never murdered anyone, better never committed adultery, better never taken anything that didn't belong to you, better never been dishonest, better never wanted something that belonged to somebody else. And he was like, yeah. I said, well, I've never killed anybody or I'm faithful to my wife. He said, and I, I get that. He's like, the... Ten Commandments, he said, but, didn't, but Jesus kind of did away with all that, didn't he? I said, actually, Jesus first, he expounded on it. I said, because there are some people that think that they haven't murdered. There are some people that think that they have never committed adultery. Jesus, however, clarified the definition of the symptom of adultery to include this, and I quote Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said to not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone that looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he was, and I had his attention. <laughs> I said, and then he also clarified the definition of the symptoms of murder to include, and I quote Matthew 5, 21, 22, you have heard that it was said do not murder, and anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. I said, so what Jesus did is he kind of, and I said, and, you, and hang with me. I'm, I said, because, see, he expounded on it really so that everybody could really see that everybody has broken the, the, all of the Ten Commandments. We're all in that boat. We have all wanted stuff that wasn't ours. There's been times where we have, 
we have looked at somebody, we've had lust for somebody. There's times we, if, if you know, I'm not gonna say if we're, if we're honest, but have you ever been angry with somebody? I mean, I could turn the news on and be angry at somebody I don't even know because he's quoting a goofy story or something. You know, and so Jesus expounded on it. Why? But then after he expounded on it, he super simplified it. And he said, all of those laws, all of those, they could be wrapped up in just two. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. That's the golden rule. Matthew 7, 12. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to do. Do to you. How simple should that be? Like that should be really simple. To just treat others like we want them to treat us. Doesn't that sound like offensively simple? And I said, you know, it's interesting that Jesus used that because that is not, the, the golden rule is not exclusive to Christianity. It has been preached, it has been taught in other ideologies, other faiths, philosophies for 600, 700 to 1,200 years before Jesus. That do to others, treat others like you want to be treated is is, is taught in ancient Egyptian texts. It says that which you hate to be done to you, don't do to others. It's taught in Buddhism, taught in Confuci- Confucianism, but say that fast, Hinduism and the Dharma, Islam, Jainism, Shinto, Sikh, Taoism, uh, Wicca, the former and modern Wiccan pagan practices, Zoroastrianism that, that goes all the way back to uh, when Abraham was around. Uh, notable philosophers taught it, Plato, Kant, uh, Isocrates, uh, Thales, which was 624 years before Jesus, taught do, uh, don't do what you would blame others for doing. I said, it's been around forever. When Jesus said that, it didn't matter who he was saying around. If you had some type of, uh, some type of ideology, some type of faith, some type of belief at the time, you most likely had already heard that. And plus, it sounds like common sense, doesn't it? And I, and I said, how simple should that be? Treat others you want to be treated. I said, if this simple, just think about it, if this simple universal rule were in fact like the banner all humanity live by, we could all live in harmony with each other regardless of our individual beliefs. The interesting thing about this rule, with Jesus saying that, is in, with this rule, do unto others as they do to you, it's a rule for governing our actions towards others. And it doesn't deal at all with our thoughts, our feelings, and our ideologies towards others. It's a universal rule because no matter what you believe, you should be able to treat others like you treat yourself. This is how crazy simple this is. If you think about it, you, it doesn't ask you to love anyone. It doesn't ask you to like anyone. I want you to think about this. You could have people who are hateful. You could have racists. You could have prejudiced people. You could have people who believe that they're superior to others or even hate other people or hate what they believe. And as long as they and society made this rule the principle that governed their actions toward each other, you could live in a society in a harmony of peace by this one rule. And he was like, this is crazy. He said, because it would literally change the world. Like if we could have got that concept, you... Can you imagine there wouldn't, have, there wouldn't have been any wars? There wouldn't have been any slavery? There wouldn't have been these, these hierarchies of you know, people who thought they were superior to other people? It, it wouldn't have mattered because everything we did, we just treated them like we wanted to be treated? He said, it's crazy we can't do that. I said, no, it's crazy that we can't do that. You don't get what I'm saying. It's crazy that we can't even do something that simple. Why? It's because of the, that, that reason, to know to do right and not do it. It's sin. God didn't create us this way. This isn't the way we were ever supposed to be. He created us to be in perfect relationship with him and each other. 
I said, so why did Jesus teach on these things? Why do you say it wasn't to condemn man? Why do we have all these commandments? People always say, well, God always throws all these laws and all these rules. That's all it's all about. No, the problem is we don't understand the gospel. Why? It's because if God is going to make man see the symptoms, if, he's going to, if you don't see the symptom, you won't see the infection. If you don't know you're sick, you won't seek a doctor. And it's kind of interesting because when the Pharisees came and they saw Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners and they came to his disciples and they said, why is he eating with them? And Jesus in Matthew 5, 31, because you know they thought they were, they thought there was something, the, the Pharisees, Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. How do the sick know that they're sick if they don't believe they're experiencing the symptoms? See, everywhere Jesus went, he reminded the people of the symptoms of the virus and reminded them also of the coming of the promise because God promised in the beginning that he would send a cure. This is what Jesus' ministry was about. It would go around healing the sick, performing miracles because one, to give him a platform to preach the gospel, to tell him the good news, which is what the gospel means, and two, to prove that he was the cure, that he was the fulfillment of over 300 prophecies that were prophesied about him throughout the Old Testament. Why? Because, like I said, if an infected person doesn't know that they're infected, they're not going to seek the cure. And this is why Jesus made it important not to do away with it. He said, uh, Matthew 5, 17, 18, he said, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter or the stroke of a pen, jot or tittle, will by any means pass away until everything is accomplished. That's why he always brought throughout history, they always, it always came back to the law. That's why God was always pushing the law. And I told him, if a list of symptoms are removed, they're soon forgotten. And when they're forgotten, infected people don't know they are infected. And if you believe that there is no infection, the life-saving antidote is nothing more than a silly unnecessary jab. Who wants to get a jab for a make-believe virus? Without knowledge of the bad news, the good news is merely ignorant, conspiratorial, religio-political rhetoric. Did I just make that word up? Religio-political rhetoric? <laughs> I think so. If the gospel, though, the full gospel is preached, and people... If it's not preached and people never realize that they need the cure, they're not going to seek the cure. And they're going to just, they're just going to die in their sins. The wages of sin is death. <coughs> and he said, so, as a doctor, you know, and with some background, he said, so, uh, you're telling me this is why everybody, they killed a bunch of animals back in the Old Testament. That's why God did that. And I said, well, Right? I said, because a virus, it, it brings death. So God said that, you know, of course, the cure would be life and that the life is in the blood. The cure to death, if life is in the blood, the cure to death would then would have to be in the blood. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. I caught him again. It says remission? So, yeah, uh, I'm not tweaking the truth there. Acts 10.43 says of him, speaking of Jesus, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Jesus said also in Matthew 26.28, uh, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. I said, and, I, and you understand what this word means, remission. You know what it's like to see a person who's suffered the d disease or cancer when they get the treatment and begin to go into remission. And then he, and then I saw the squinty eyes, and he was smiling because something was clicking. A remission in the medical dictionary of uh, cancer terms is defined as a decrease, a decrease in or disappearance of signs and symptoms of cancer. You, you know, and God, this boy, he started talking to me. Through, through him, you know, him asking questions. Remission of sins, this doctor already knows this. And so he's, he said, okay, okay. He said, well, okay, I'm going to throw one at you, but how 
could infected blood bring life to blood that has already been infected with a virus that destroys life? I was like, man, that's a good question. I guess that blood would have to be special. It would have to contain a greater form of life. Life but more? Maybe is why Jesus said, the, key, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life, and life what? More abundantly. Man, I, that was like, Jesus was like, you know, you hear, you, you hear what I'm saying? And I'm just like getting excited. He didn't know why. I said, but see, this was the problem throughout the, the Old Testament with all those killing animals. The problem is that the sacrifices that took place in the Old Testament, it was impossible for the blood of animals to be the cure for humans. That's why they had to keep doing it every single year. That's why the priests, when they went in, they first had a sacrifice for themselves because the, the priests were not clean. The priests had a sacrifice for themselves first. And the blood of animals would never meet the need, the cure, the antidote for a human. And he said, and then, a hand, and then uh, it was impossible for a human to synthesize a perfect universal antidote because we were infected. And besides that, the idea of universal donor uh, was not possible anymore because at that time it was required for the head of each family to bring a sacrifice for their own family. So they would have had to find a perfect person in every single family. I mean, we couldn't even find one. He said, okay, so uh, why did they kill all the animals? <laughs> I said, because what's impossible to man is possible to God. And from the beginning, God promised from the moment that Adam and Eve were infected, through their disobedience when they were infected, God promised from there that he would send a cure. And then as you read through, I personally have seen um, and I study the word. I love the word I've seen in all of the prophets. When Jesus said all of the prophets testify, literally means all of the prophets. There's over 300 prophecies specific to Jesus being the cure. Over 300. Experts say that there's uh, more than 3,000. I only found 300, so I guess I gotta read more. I said, and then what took place over and over and over every year was a reminder. It was God's way of reminding the people. It was that the, the promise would come. The sacrifices was about the promise. It was a shadow, a reflection, an echo, a constant reminder of the coming promise that God didn't forget about his people and that God cared about his people enough, enough to keep this tradition alive, the tradition yearly of shedding the blood of a spotless, pure lamb. Whenever year, just as the law, which is the symptoms, the law was read aloud before the people every single year. Why? Because God needed to remind generation after generation that they were infected. You can't let the symptoms be forgotten or the people will forget they need a cure. And at the same time, when they're like, yeah, but we got this cure, what's God going to do? He keeps promising you every single year. That the cure's coming. Be ready for the cure. I haven't forgotten about you. And then the Bible says in the fullness of time that Jesus was born. And I said, you probably know the scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody's heard that. But listen to 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that through him it would be saved. And then here's a key. I wish we had memorized this too. The next verse says, whoever believes in him, believes, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. They're already condemned. Why? Because they're infected and they've never gotten the cure. And it wasn't God that condemned. They were condemned because they had the cure or they had the virus. Sin, death, alive in them. I said, see, God didn't throw a bunch of rules and laws at us to condemn us like everybody likes to say. He didn't try to make it impossible for us to have a relationship with him. He desperately loves us. And he has done everything that he can to make us see and consider the symptoms of this virus, this curse that has already infected us that we're already condemned eternally because of it. 
And God knew that. If he can't get you to see the symptoms, you'll never seek the treatment. If you're convinced that the virus is a hoax and the antidote is a conspiracy theory or political rhetoric, you will only identify the cure as a silly, unnecessary jab. I said, like the people that you're frustrated with. So that's why God has done everything to keep the symptoms and the promise before our eyes all through history. And then God's promise, what he said in the beginning, he kept his promise. And that cure is more precious than anyone could imagine. Because God who created all things by his word, took his word, his son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, put him into the world to fulfill the law himself. If you can't get it done, do it yourself. He waited until the perfect time. Man was impo- it was impossible for man to ever be righteous. It was impossible for man to ever find the cure. So in the fullness of time, God said, I'll do it myself. And so he entered. I said, man, that's, that's what it's about. I said, you know, John 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Uh, and through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And, and it says in uh, for, uh, John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I said, this is the goal. This was the goal of Jesus. I said, this is what's amazing, and we don't think a lot about Jesus' goal and purpose when he came, you know, he said that I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it, the law and the prophets. What law did he come to fulfill? I want you to think about this. He did walk out life perfectly, but he came to fulfill the law to be the sacrifice. He came to, to faithfully become the spotless, sinless lamb. He had to be the sacrifice. He had to fulfill that. I said that being human, uh, his blood was a worthy sacrifice for humans. Being the creator of humanity would make him the head of humanity, allowing his sacrifice to cover the entire family of humanity. And he entered the woman, the, the, the seed, I'm sorry, the egg, the womb that comes from the woman, that was of corrupted flesh, sin. He stepped into that and he clothed himself with that humanity. Because if he would have just came to earth as God Almighty, I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever watched the Avengers or stuff, but some of these, if he would have stepped in with his own body, we wouldn't have been able to hurt him, much less, much less kill him to be a sacrifice. He had to step into the curse so that his body could be broken. Why did his body need to be broken? Because the seed, the seed was of the Father. He's born of the seed of God, the spirit of life was inside that body so that when the body could be broken, the antidote is released. I said, and because, and that made Jesus the worthy sacrifice. He He followed through. He accomplished everything that he was supposed to accomplish. He was the antidote for everyone. I call it the invitation. I said, and and it's cool because I said, it's free. And we're, and I could see he's thinking about everything. And he smiled. And and I said, you know, it's funny. I uh, usually when I'm talking about food and coffee, I have this little phrase. You know it's good when it makes you smile. And we both just kind of laughed. And he said, you know, there's more. If you act now, I'll only call the number on the screen. What is the kicker? I have to go to church. I need to confess my sins, go to confessional, repent, give my money to the church, repeat some sinner's prayer to get it. I said, man, you watch too much. Um, okay, I can see why you would probably think that. I said, but in fact, you've already started the process. He said, okay, uh, how, like how so, what do you mean? I said, this is the cool thing. I said, sometimes, you know, Christians, sometimes we get mixed up with the, we, we kind of get super excited in the gospel and we start to use this evangelingo or, or, or Christianese. We use these words that people really don't know what we're talking about. You must be saved, repent. What in the world do those mean? I said, well, here's what it means. The word repent, it actually means to 
have a change of mind to think differently or afterwards as in uh, reconsider. That's what repentance means. It means to have a change of mind. So the Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that verse is coming up next. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So that's the next key word, confess. It doesn't mean going to a confessional, blah, 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 spill out the beans with everything you did. Let's know what it is. God, God's not interested. Uh, he's God. He knows. But the word confession, that word, it means to agree with, fill in the blank, somebody, against yourself. Confession, agree with, against yourself. So let's say if you were in a court, if you were in a, uh, a courtroom and a judge, he brought all of this evidence against you, and he's, you know, and he's asking you how you, you know, what is your confession? If you agree, if you see the evidence, you and you're agreeing with the judge against yourself. Yeah, my sister. If you're in a doctor's office and he's bringing the symptoms, or some other healthcare professional, or some expert, they're bringing you the evidence, and if you see it, then you are agreeing with the doctor against yourself, or that you see that you're infected. I said, so when I show you the evidence or the symptoms of sin, the law, and you take those symptoms and you seriously consider them and you suddenly realize, oh my gosh, I am showing these symptoms. They're active. I said, that, a change has happened. Repentance is preparing your soul to bring you to the Father, to bring you close to the Father, to confess. Confess to agree with Him against yourself or you're agreeing with him that he's right. I see the symptoms. The evidence is clear. Uh, I'm infected. And I need, I need an antidote. That's, that's what it means. It said, and as far as the sinner prayer go, the sinner's prayer, Acts 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your mouth... Sorry, with your heart you believe and are justified. With your mouth you confess and are saved. Which seems really simple. And he just looked at me for a moment. And he said something that I have heard many times. I've heard it on the streets. I've heard it with coworkers. I've heard it talking to prisoners. I've heard it with the guys that come to my house. Um, I, have, I haven't heard that before. I've never heard it like this. And we both laughed and I said, yeah, sometimes, like I said, we get tripped up and we get really excited. I said, but can you see why we call it the good news? He said, yeah, honestly, I can see that and it makes sense. And then he said, do other Christians know this? (laughs) I was like, yeah. He said, okay, you really got me thinking and I think I need to take some time to really think about this. I said, absolutely. Just don't overthink it with all your thinking. I said, and if you have any questions, feel free to give me a call. He shook my hand and thanked me again for talking to him, thanked me again for explaining this. And and then he said, do you you think that you would be willing to share with some friends that I might have, like, share this message, like this gospel, like it's some type of new message? I said, yeah. And before he left, I said, just remember, remember this, that you don't need me or anyone else there if you decide you need Jesus. He's already with you. His spirit is already working in your heart and in your mind. So whenever the moment comes, no matter where you are, no matter what time it is, and just call his name. And though I didn't pray with him, I didn't push prayer or anything on him. I didn't try to, you know, get him to say the sinner's prayer, like just, just get... I left him in the very best place that you could leave anybody, marinating in the gospel, the good news, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's really the best place for him to be. See, when we understand, that's the good news. The good news, the crazy thing about the good news is that we can't do anything, anything to be worthy of of the cure. We can't do anything to make ourselves righteous. 
when we understand the good news, we understand why Jesus is the only way. Then it's not an arrogant thing. You see why Jesus is the only way. He was the only one that dealt with the issue and that came and died to be the cure. He was the only one. You understand why the opinion, well, I'm a good person, is irrelevant to salvation. You being a good person, it's impossible to be saved. You're still infected. And also why I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough for Jesus. I don't deserve his forgiveness. Well, that's also irrelevant because guess what? None of us are worthy. Jesus says he died for us while we were yet sinners. And then we understand why there are good messages that come out of other, other beliefs. You know, like we talk about the Ten Commandments or we talk about the Golden Rule. Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, Confucianism, wisdom of the indigenous elders. But the message that they give are, is incapable of saving a soul because they don't even attempt to address the issue of the curse and the virus and sin. And none of the wise men and none of those other priests or so-called gods ever tried to fulfill the requirement to become the cure. Only Jesus did that. We understand why, why the, that we can't be cured by following the law because the law has no power to cure the infected. It merely reveals the infection. Those who believe that they can be saved by their works are equivalent to people who are dying from cancer or AIDS or some other incurable disease who wears themselves out daily doing good works because they think that the works somehow magically have the ability to to save them, to be the cure. But it doesn't because good works have nothing to do with the antidote, has nothing to do. Good works are irrelevant to the problem. They die in their sin. They die as an infected person who did good works. But thank God, then we also understand that the good news, we understand that those who put their faith in the work that Jesus did are those who have obtained the free gift of God, are cured of the virus, are free. They're free to do good works out of thankfulness and appreciation for the righteousness of God that they've already obtained through grace by faith in what Jesus did. Their good works have nothing to do with their salvation or their right standing before God. They're just good works and good deeds that glorify God, that feels good to do, that helps humanity, that shows the love of Jesus to the world in a practical way. And we do them because we're free to do them. The good news is what Jesus did. The good news is what we're not worthy of and what we can't obtain The good news is that Jesus did it for us. The good news is that Jesus did it all. What Jesus has done has made us brand new creatures. His blood, it was a blood transfusion. We became new creatures. Old things are passed away. All things are made new. What Jesus has done has given us his righteousness before God. What Jesus has done has taken you and me who are absolutely not worthy And made us worthy by his blood. What Jesus has done is given us grace to walk this life boldly. What Jesus has done is given us complete access into the holy of holies to talk to God directly. What Jesus has done is taken all the junk and all the filth and all of our unworthiness. And every debt and accusation that the devil had on us. He took ownership of all of that stuff. And he took it on himself as if it was his own. And he nailed it to the cross. And then he purchased us with his own blood from the slavery of sin and death, curing us of the virus. He did it when we weren't worthy. What Jesus did is made us his family. What Jesus did is he changed the whole game. And now when we do struggle, because we struggle, we fail sometimes. It's everything's not always perfect. We have issues. I got a hole in my foot. You know, sometimes we have financial issues. Sometimes as husbands and wives, we argue. Sometimes relationships are not good. That doesn't mean that you're no longer in right standing with God and then all of a sudden the cure left because you weren't good enough. You were never good enough. We could never be good enough. And what Jesus did, he changed all that. So when we struggle, if we fall, it's all different. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when we do fall down, 
the Father reaches out of heaven himself and he picks us up and he's no longer looking at us through wrathful eyes like we deserve, but eyes of love and pride. And he says, get back up, son. Get on your feet. I'm rooting for you and all of heaven is rooting for you. Go get him. Because we are part of the family of God now. He took everything. Man, I used to fight. I used to hate. I I hated people. I told you my story. And I was like, God, how do I even love people? How did you love people? I don't love people. I want everybody to hurt like I hurt. I am telling you, the moment when I called his name, the moment I called it, Jesus, the moment I did it, something began to change. And it wasn't me because I hated. And all of a sudden, something else happened. That's what the gospel message is about. The gospel message, it gets me emotional because I could tell you I would have never bowed before, man. I didn't like, like other men. I was the manly man, and I wanted to fight everybody that gave me the wrong look. And I, now when Jesus, when we start singing worship, we start talking about communion, I can't help but get emotional. I can't help because, because of what the gospel is. Romans 1.16, Paul I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Man, it says everything. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel, it says right there, is God's power to save us if we just believe. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. It seems way too simple. And all it is is when we see that we're, we're not perfect, we see that we're infected, and we realize that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. He accomplished what he came to accomplish. And all we have to do is say, Jesus, I want, I want the antidote. I see that I need it. You're the antidote. I want the antidote. I need you to be my savior. I need you to save my life. And Jesus doesn't want you to do anything else. Because nothing else you could do is relevant to what he's about to do. That's the gospel message. And we're a family in him. And that is, and that's what communion is all about. And when we come together and we take communion, when Jesus, his body was broken to be that sacrifice, that lamb, he came to die. And then that blood the greatest element ever, ever, because in the blood is life. But in Jesus' blood was the seed, the life of God. And he freely gave it to us, bringing us into him. See, his body, it, could, it was broken, but he's God. He didn't die. So we take that. We take it. Did you know, did you know and, 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 and I'm not going to try to go too much further here, but did you know Jesus preached one message and he lost thousands of followers? And one message, because he said, uh, if you don't take the bread, he said, I am the bread of life. If you don't take the bread, if you don't eat my flesh, if you don't drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And he lost, he lost thousands of followers. Why? Because Leviticus 27, uh, Deuteronomy 7, where it talks about the blood. God said, do not drink the blood because the life of the thing is in the blood. And if any of my people drink the blood, they're cut off from me. And we've known throughout, through years, different pagan groups, different beliefs, esoteric teachings has been all about the life that's in the blood. Oh, the, the flesh, eat the flesh. You know, we would talk about killing an animal and some would respect the animal by eating, taking a bite out of the heart so that the blood, it would transfer. Uh, the Mayans, when they would kill people, uh, they would take the hearts of their enemies and first take a bite of it because they knew that the life, they believed that the life of that person was becoming one with them. Jesus said, don't do it. And all of a sudden he flipped it all on his head and he said, if you don't, Eat my flesh and drink my blood. You can have no part of me. So we break the blood. And why? Jesus, the life, his life into us. And because his body can never be broken, and it's in you, and it's in you, and it's in me, and it's in every other believer, we're all together. His body. That's amazing. Jesus said, let them be one as I am one. He said, Father, when he prayed for him just before he died, Father, I am in you and you are in me. And my prayer for them is that they would be one and that they would be in me and I in them. 
as we are in you, he brought us all together. And that's why when we stand and we walk around and we're not worthy and we're not, we're not perfect, that we literally stand in the righteousness of God because it has nothing to do with us. We just had to see and believe and call Jesus. His antidote did everything, his blood, the power of the blood. And, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close here because if I don't, I probably won't because <laughs> it gets me excited. And, uh, and as I pray here and just close, and Pastor Joe comes in to do communion, I just want you to think whether you're here or, or watching or, or watching someday or if this is years down the road and you stumble on and you're watching or whatever. It, it's that easy. The gospel is so simple. The Bible says that the, this is, the gospel is so simple that it's offensive, that it's so simple. That's how simple it is. We're infected. There was no cure. Jesus is the cure. And we just have to believe he's the cure and ask him to save us. Amazing. And you could do it anywhere. And uh, so let's go to God in, in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you did. I thank you for your blood. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we were not worthy and will never be worthy. But you, Jesus, you, Lord, by our faith in you, you've given us the righteousness of God and we'll never understand that. I will never understand that, Jesus. But you knew. And you came and you are faithful and I'm so thankful for this gift. I'm so thankful. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And I thank you that I have that life. I thank you that you've changed my life. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for everybody here, Lord, that you just speak to their hearts, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would, uh, Lord Jesus, just those who need comforted, that they are comforted. Those who are praying for family, Lord Jesus, that you comfort them knowing, Lord Jesus, that you hear their prayers and that the blood of Jesus is strong enough. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. Jesus' name, amen. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. I'm in remission of the blood of Jesus. If you're here today and there's no one that we heard the message, I thought it was pretty clear that everyone's infected. But the cure is the same for all of us. If you're here today and you realize that, maybe for the first time, man, I really am infected with this. What we're about to do is a representation of the antidote, the cure. It is God's sacrifice through His Son that saves us. And it is that gift today that God is offering to us. And so if you have never, ever made that step, just as Sam said, there's no prayer to pray. There's nothing I can have you do. It's not about coming to church. It's not about doing all the right things. In fact, Sam said something in the first service. I didn't hear him say it in this service, but he made this statement. I just called it. It says, you can be very busy, but not clean. You can be very busy doing all the things you think you need to do, but never take the antidote. Still be sick in your sin. And so God's made the provision. And so I'm not asking if you've come to church for months. I'm not asking if you've given the offering. I'm asking, have you received God's gift and the gift of forgiveness in your life, the cure, the antidote for the problem that you were born with, and you can never overcome it without Jesus. He is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes by the Father except through Him. And if that's you today and you're here, I'm going to ask you to do something pretty simple. I'm going to ask you to come and take communion for the first time. Just come and take the cup and bread as an act of belief because it's what you believe. If you put your trust and faith in Christ, that's what Jesus said, and you take His flesh and His blood and you receive it, you will be saved. And so if that's you and that's the work that God's doing in you, and God will... God may have you do, you know, when you leave here, it's not just about me, it's about when I leave here, 
I don't know, Sam's contagious to me whenever I'm around him. He just loves the lost. And he's always out there engaging people. This is just one story out of many. I've heard so many more. In fact, Sam loves it when, you know, cult groups come to his door. He always invites them in. In fact, you know, he's on a blacklist from some groups. Do not go to this house. Because people get saved when they do it. It's incredible. I want that, don't you? It's a, so there's, there's this other flip side where you can be contagious with this. And so I want to encourage you, if, that, if you've never done that, I'm going to encourage you to come take the cup and bread saying, I believe. I believe this to be true. I believe the good news today. And I want to just walk in there. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you. I don't save anybody. He does it. But then after you do that, I want you to come up at the end of the service. I want you to tell me you took communion for the first time. And I'm going to pray with you and celebrate with you. And I'm going to get your number and we're going to walk together. Amen. And we're going to experience what it's like to walk free by taking it, being free of this incurable disease called sin. God's made the provision for us. And if you've never taken it, this is your opportunity today. The rest of us, we will come as well with you. Why are we coming? We've already received the antidote. We're coming to remember and to celebrate what's already been happening to us. We're celebrating our remission. That's right. And it's a time just to reflect. Is, are there any, is there anything in my life that I want? Is there any symptoms still in me that I'd like God to minister and help me with? This is the time to do that as we come to the table. So, Father, prepare our hearts as we come. We take the cup and bread today, and we remember and we celebrate together in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we thank you for this incredible news. It's not just good news, it's great news. For we have passed from death to life. Not just any life, but life abundant. It's all because of this precious gift that we celebrate today. Some may be taking this for the first time. And they're stepping out in faith, saying they believe this message. Lord, I believe you have drawn them by your spirit. And they are going to enter in to this new life. And for those of us maybe who've been walking in this for a long time, I pray you would renew, renew and refresh in us the appreciation of this gift. And that, Lord, we would use this time, as your word declares, to if we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we take you at your word and thank you because we know we can't do this in and of ourselves. This is totally your work. It's not our goodness, it's your goodness. It's not our righteousness, it's your righteousness. And so we receive this. And thank you. Thank you for pointing out the symptoms so we were aware of the problem, so we could accept the antidote, which is your precious gift of your blood and your body. And we celebrate it and we say thank you. Thank you. It doesn't seem to be enough. Thank you. So, Lord, we don't want to just say thank you. We want to live thank you. Would you help us live a life that's worthy of this sacrifice. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you. If you're able, would you stand with me, please? We want to encourage you, next week we'll be picking up in Acts, the 10th chapter. Interesting enough, Peter is going to have an exper a, a similar experience to Sam. Because Peter is in the 10th chapter about to do something that would, he would have never done. It's kind of like Sam wearing a mask. When, there's no, when he really had no reason to wear a mask, but God told him to do it. Peter's going to have a similar experience. God's going to ask him to do something that would be unthinkable. But it was so he might reach, that would open the door to the gospel message to the Gentile world. And what Peter did that day affects all of us here today. We're going to hear that next week. You want to read ahead. Read that whole chapter. It's awesome. Notice that Peter's the, he's the disciple of no. <laughs> he's always saying no. But God keeps working with him. And he's going to object. But he's going to end up doing what God's asked him to do. God's going to have to ask him three times to do something that he would have never done, but it was to open the door to the gospel. So God may be leading you. I believe there are divine appointments. Continue. Sam's experience can be yours. Say, well, I'm not that elegant. I don't know if I could fix all those things. 
You just show up and you tell your story about the gospel message and the life that God has given to you. I believe it will affect other people. Amen. So come next week and we'll just dive in and we'll continue on until we get up to Easter. So hopefully we'll get as far as we can and continue in the series Acts 29. There's only 28 chapters. You're chapter 29. It's not just about history. It's about what's happening even now today. Amen. Father, I pray over my friends today who've gathered here in this place. I thank you for this message. I don't know what people heard. I know what Sam said, but I don't know what they heard because your spirit is speaking and directing. And I thank you for the example of Sam as he encounters people even at a store that would take time to engage someone about this good news. Lord, we didn't just receive it. We're carriers of it. May we have the spirit of Paul that we are not ashamed of the gospel because we know, Lord, what it means. And Lord, as your word declares in that next verse, this good news tells us how we are in right standing in your sight. Would you help us believe that today? How do you see us? <sighs> Glory. And, and this is accomplished from start to finish by our faith. Wow. As the scripture said, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. It's what we believe. So Lord, we want to walk in that good news today. Help us not just receive the word, but become the word we've heard. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Go in God's love and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God